You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. And that's it. Welcome in to Commute, the podcast, episode two. We want to make you smarter and more interesting. And today's episode is going to do just that. I'm Dave, he's Jay, and today we're going to cover three very diverse topics. We're going to talk triplets, then we're going to talk Pokemon, and then we're going to talk TV shows and how it's really hard to stick the landing. So let's get to it. Here's topic number one. So Jay, I'm a big documentary guy. You a documentary fan? Yeah, I I can enjoy uh, some good documentaries. I'm more of a true crime guy than you. Yeah, and we'll get into some true crime documentaries, I'm sure, at some point on this show. But a documentary that has stuck with me, and this is definitely a recommendation from me to you. This uh, this documentary is available right now on Hulu when we are recording this podcast. This is in early 2021, so I can't promise it'll be available forever. But it's available right now. It's called Three Identical Strangers. And Jay, this documentary blew my mind. So it was a 2018 documentary about the lives of three men. Edward Gallen, David Kelman, and Robert, uh, I believe it's pronounced Shaffron, a set of identical triplets who were adopted as infants by separate families. And so the documentary follows these three different stories and a, a, a chance encounter at the age of 19 by two of the brothers really sets their world into this crazy motion where their lives start to intersect. And there was a chance that these guys would never even know that they were triplets. So once again, separated at birth, and there's there's really some sinister reasons that they were separated at birth, and I don't want to spoil the entire documentary. But really, the, the documentary raises the question of nature versus nurture, which is something that I've always been fascinated on. And, and the documentary kind of lands in a place of it's really nurture that turns us into who we are. Yes, maybe we're born quirky or with certain interests, but it's the way that we are cared for and the people that we interact with in life that make us who we are. I, I know that you also watched this documentary. So uh, it's something I think about quite often. How did it stick with you as something that you carry forward, especially as a dad who's got twins? So you've got some guys in your your household who you kind of examine probably in a nature versus nurture way. Yeah, and that's the that's the great debate of psychology. I mean, it, it really always has been. Psychology is a really new discipline within the past hundred years. It's kind of developed into what it is, and that's always been at the core of it. Uh, and every psychologist who is known for anything has an opinion on it. Uh, what makes you you? Is it more your genes? Is it more uh, how you were raised, the environment, the culture that you're raised in? There's been these studies that have tried to to figure these things out, to answer these questions, but they've always run into those limitations of, you know, you take identical twins, you separate them at birth, they have identical DNA, so you can kind of compare and you can contrast and you can try to figure out uh, what what does have more weight, nature versus nurture. These studies are mostly completely unethical, so you can't really do that, but it has happened like in this documentary. And the, the documentary does a great job of telling that story, like you said, but it also does a great job of twisting and turning along the way. And so it'll kind of go in one direction for a while that makes you really, but like I found myself kind of sitting there, they, they heard from psychologists and they were showing the ways that all these brothers were so similar, even though they'd never met. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's nature. Like I'm, I'm not in control of myself. I was going to yeah. be this no matter what, you know, or whatever. But then it does a great job at really 
transitioning and sticking the landing and making the case for nurture in a really powerful way too. So once again, this is early 2021 right now, Three Identical Strangers, which is a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes if you're a review guy like me. Um, Check it out. Even if it's not available on Hulu, find it, rent it, you'll enjoy it. All right, Dave, so I'm going to take a hard left here. We've been talking about uh, identical twins. We've been talking about documentaries. Um, Did you, uh, growing up, you were a child of the 90s like me. Uh, Did you play the video game Pokemon in the late 90s? major Pokemon fan. I had Pokemon Blue. There was Pokemon Blue and Pokemon Red. Also was an avid Pokemon card collector. Yeah, and and I was as well. I think pretty much every child of the late 90s was in some way. Uh, I mean, I remember, uh, I, and I think really if you talk to anyone who grew up in the 90s or had children in the 90s, they'll, they'll remember the phenomenon. They'll remember how it really, t- I mean, I remember Pokemon cards got banned from our school because they were taking up too much instructional time and everybody would just sit inside at recess and want to play with Pokemon cards instead of going outside. And people would sell them. And people would sell them. It was kind of like kid drug deals were going on in your fifth grade classroom. Yeah, people were you know buying them up like like stocks and all this type of stuff and thinking that they were going to triple and quadruple in value over time. And and it was within the game, it was within reason. You know, I'm a, I'm a video game player and, and Pokemon is widely credited with kind of being like one of the first kind of open world video games to do it right. You know, to kind of offer that experience of being able to do what you want in the world uh, in a uh, in a in a unique way. Well, in 2014, and and I know we're I'm going back a little bit. This has been seven years ago, but I read this story if uh, maybe a year ago or so, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since. So, in 2014, uh, a website which is very popular now as an app, uh, but in 2014 it was emerging called Twitch. Have you ever heard of Twitch before? I have. Now, Twitch, uh, in my mind, is where people stream themselves playing video games. That's, ex- that that's exactly what it is. Yeah. People stream themselves playing video games. It's huge, uh, it, not just in the gaming community, just in the entertainment community. In 2014, it was the fourth most trafficked site in the internet behind Netflix, Google, and Apple. Okay, so it's a powerhouse of a website. Uh, it's got millions and millions of viewers uh, every minute. Uh, and so in 2014, a, a mystery programmer from Australia put a version of Pokemon Red on Twitch that allowed someone to log in, bring up the stream of the game, and type in a command. And if they typed in a command, it would make the player move in a way that they pressed a button. So if you typed in left, the player would move left. If you typed in A, you would press the A button. What happened was he he threw this game up, he opened it up, and anyone at any time could log in and input a command. So I could be in and make the player go left. You could immediately type right and make him go right. Okay, we both had our hands on the controller. As this started to go, he just kind of wanted to see what would happen. And a community started to form around this game where people became completely obsessed with trying to beat it. All right, to, to working together to try to beat it. And if you remember playing Pokemon, this was not an easy game to beat. Uh, it took hours to beat this game, and it took a lot of moving and doing things. And if you try to wrap your head around all the things you'd have to do to beat this game with a bunch of users trying to do different things at the same time, it, you can kind of realize, like, this is impossible. There's no way they could do this. 
390 hours later and 1.1 million users later, they did finally beat Pokemon Red, which is is just so incredible to me that this happened because the story is what's so fascinating to me because this community organized around this game, the system that was being run was literally titled Anarchy was the name of the system. And it was just, you put in a command, he does it. Okay, so you'd have at any one time 100,000 people inputting commands and the character would just be listening to 100,000 voices and not being able to really do anything. Uh, And so as time went on, I don't know if you remember uh, a lot, I had to go back and refresh my memory a little bit, but in the Pokemon game, there was this level called Safari Zone where you were limited on the amount of steps you could take. They got stuck there and they couldn't get past that part. So they developed a new system called Democracy. Okay, so democracy is where you input a command, everybody has to vote, and then whoever gets the most votes, that's how the command works. Well, that set off a controversy because then people are like, that goes against the original intent of the game. So they started spamming the, the democracy system. And so, it, and it's so much bigger than that. And I'm not, I'm not going to give you like the 10 second version. You'll get lost in this for an hour if you read about it. But the people who created this community around the game, they basically organized like a religion. Okay, they they created fan art for the characters that they had. They created a Bible about the Pokemon and they sent it out to people and sold it. Like and it was a it was a book about uh, the Pokemon that were in their team. All right. So these are the top. I'm going to read you the names of the top Pokemon on their team. Their best Pokemon was one called it was a Pidgeot. They named it Bird Jesus. Okay, and there's if you just type Bird Jesus, you'll just see memes for days of Bird Jesus. There's Abby, which was a Charmeleon, which was accidentally released. There was Jay Leno, which was a Rattata, which was accidentally released. There was Zapdos, which they called Anarchy Bird. There was Flareon, which they called the False Prophet because they really wanted the water one, but they accidentally inputted the command for the fire one. It's it's this really interesting story in cooperation. And like this is our version for better or worse of like building, you know, uh, the transatlantic railroad or like building the Great Pyramids or something. I thought um, serial killers terrified me. No, no, that group of people terrified me. So that's what I'll be up t- uh, tonight thinking about is uh, these people making the Jay Leno Pokemon for their, uh, <laughs> their takeover of this online game. And finally, we're going to talk about finals. So, Jay, both of us were Lost fans. So, as you reflect on the the iconic and much maligned ending to Lost, has it grown on you a little bit, or does it still feel like, what a letdown after all these years of commitment to the show? You know, I am the kind of person that when I think about the ending of Lost, I feel the exact same way as I did the night that it happened, and that is that I quite literally feel nothing. I was ready for that show to be over. So it's safe to say when they set out to create Lost and uh, it started gaining popularity that that's not the response the showrunners wanted people to have. I'm just ready for this to be over. So the question is, why is it so difficult to end a show on a high note? So my favorite show of all time is a show called Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad to me, and I won't spoil it for you even though it's been over for years, um, I shall go ahead and spoil it for you. If you haven't seen Breaking Bad by now, turn it off. Spoiler alert. Walter White dies. Okay, there's a lot of, of symbolism. There's great things that happen in this final episode. And it's just the perfect send-off for this perfect TV character. Now, Breaking Bad is the exception. 
most shows do what's called jumping the shark. And if you've never heard of the expression jumping the shark, I'm going to tell you where it comes from. So jumping the shark came in the late 70s from a show called Happy Days. So Happy Days was a show that was extremely popular. Our parents' generation grew up on Happy Days. Happy Days at a certain point kind of ran out of storylines. And so they took one of the most iconic characters in TV history, Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, literally jumped a shark on water skis at the beach. Did he go like, hey, when he hey. he's probably combing his hair as he did it. Yeah. Um, but, but that's where that phrase came from, which means you've you've gone too far. You, you didn't know what to do with your show, so you've taken a, a left turn that's extremely unbelievable. So there's a bunch of reasons why shows struggle to end. One reason is it's not like a book. You know, when you set out to create a show, you have no idea whether you're going to be able to have it for five seasons, six seasons, seven seasons, whatever. It really just depends if people keep watching your show. So many times people just have to scramble to kind of end a show because they didn't realize that they're going to be able to keep producing the show. Then there's another letdown show, Game of Thrones. So Game of Thrones at a certain point said, you know what, we've just got to end this thing. The guys who created Game of Thrones were going to move on to some other projects, and so they tied everything up in, in one or two episodes, honestly, when it should have had eight to ten episodes to tell the final storyline. Yeah, and that's why you really see, I think, as far as the entertainment industry goes, you see a shift where people are moving their interests in shows from network shows to streaming platforms and a lot of it is because of this reason is because you know when you go in to pitch a show for a network you're pitching these are my characters this is my pilot here's the idea and then you're going to do a season if you get lucky and then you have to end it on a cliff or some sort of a cliffhanger because you want a second season and so then you get the second season and all of a sudden it's well we need 13 episodes or 15 episodes and you need to have spots where you can cut for commercial breaks and so you need to stretch out this storyline over multiple weeks and that creates a content that's going to suffer right whereas if you're a content creator you have a great story you have a you have casting in mind you have directors and producers you got everything ready to go you go pitch that thing to netflix or hulu or or whatever and say hey i want to make this show here's a story i want to tell here's the beginning here's the end not sure how many seasons it'll take. I'm going to shoot some episodes. We can divide them up. And uh, if you do that, you create an infinitely better piece of content because you don't have to make these diversions along the way. You don't have to go off on the side quests. You don't have to develop the characters that no one cares about. You can just move singularly towards the goal that you want to accomplish in the show. And that's what makes Breaking Bad that you mentioned so great is, you know, the guys who made Breaking Bad have talked about this. They went to AMC. I mean, they would have given, it was the biggest show in the world when it was on. AMC would have given these guys 10 seasons if they wanted. But they went in and said, we need six seasons. You know, we want to tell the story. They'll take us six seasons. This is how it's going to end. And um, we're going to tie it up there after six. You know, Breaking Bad has a tie-in to uh, another one of your passions, which is Aliens, because Vince Gilligan, the uh, creator of uh, Breaking Bad, also worked on X-Files. So we'll get into Aliens at some point on here, but just know that Jay thinks they're out there. And that'll do it for episode two of Commute Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us. Rate, subscribe, and review. We are available on your favorite podcast platform. And also give us a follow on social. We'll see you.